0: you know, a few years ago when I sensed the Spirit of God calling my family to leave Abu Dhabi, if you're like, what's Abu Dhabi? It's a city in the Middle East. When when God called my family to leave our ministry there and to come back to Texas to plant a new church, I'll never forget. I, I it, it was several months. It was a six-month process of A Pastor Andy Davis from First Baptist Belton, that's our sending church. When he asked me, would I consider coming to Texas to plant a church? And at first I told him, no, (laughs) like not interested. I love what I'm doing in the Middle East. And six months later, it's amazing to see what God does. He changes your hearts and he gives you new desires. And I remember being on my face before God in my office and, and saying, God, I know you've called me to go back to Central Texas and to plant a church in an area where there is the appearance of godliness but denying its power. In cultural Christianity, and and in some ways, this is harder ministry than the Middle East. In some ways, it's not. It's just so different. And I remember being on my face and saying, God, what do you want this new church to be about? What, what name would you have me give this new church in Central Texas? And as I was praying, I, I just had one word just impress on my mind. And that one word, you can guess, is renewal. I had that one word that I, I could not shake, that I, I sent Spirit of God just impress on me and say, this new church will be about renewal. It'll be about the captives being set free. It'll be about wounded hearts being made whole. It'll be about God's renewal that will spread to first Bell County, but then to the world. And that is our vision, is we are here to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world This church's heartbeat is to see people satisfied in the presence of God because we live in an age where there are so many competing voices of what will make you happy, of what will bring you healing, of what will set you free from your captivity, and yet there's only one place, there's only one hope, and his name is Jesus. And so we're about spreading his renewal, and I pray that this morning that God will begin to extend more of his renewal in your own heart. That he'll be more real to you than he ever has been in your life. We're in a series called Satisfied. And many months ago, I spent a couple of days alone, and I said, God, I just want you to just speak to me on what do you want me to preach for the first several months. And so, Here we are now many months later after God kind of laid out for me what we were to preach is a series called Satisfied, where the idea is that we have been made mind and body and soul, all of our being exists to be satisfied in God, in his presence, because there is no satisfaction anywhere else other than in Christ. Last week we began this series by talking from preaching of Psalm 16 on how in his presence there are pleasures forevermore. Today we're continuing, we're talking about having a satisfied body. So we'll continue talking about our mind and so forth in the next few weeks, but today is what it looks like and what it means to have our very bodies satisfied in the presence of of God. Now, this is potentially a very sensitive subject for many of you, which is why we dismissed our children to their class, which we should do anyway, but I would not have wanted to have small children in today's sermon. Now, if you do have kids that you kept, I, I trust you, I deferred to you as parents, but I am giving you the heads up on where we're going this morning with this sermon Because it is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it is a beautiful and a powerful verse. But for many people, it is a very challenging text. 1 Corinthians 6, we'll be reading verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So, as we get our minds around what God is revealing through his word about having a a body, as it says, glorify God in your body, let's just take a moment and pray and ask the Spirit to. Do his work this morning. Father, we are truly humbled that we would have the privilege of gathering together in your name, reading your word. Seeing you revealed. And this morning, we're just begging you that you will do that. I know a subject such as this one. There are men in this room that are really hurting that are struggling. And so, Lord, right now, through the power of your spirit, in the name of our Lord and Savior, the King of glory, Jesus Christ, we pray that if anyone here is suffering with the spirit of shame, that you would bind that. If anyone here is struggling with the spirit of fear or of failure that you would bind that father and that you would cast that far from this holy place and that we here would be set apart for you you are our heart's desire lord you know our hearts you know that it's so difficult living in a broken world where we can look at our circumstances and we can say, God, but my circumstances are unique, and so therefore this does not apply to me. Father, I pray that you would rebuke us and that you, through your spirit, so gently and so kindly, that as you do, that you would be at work in doing your renewal in our hearts. Father, we ask. We ask that you would bring freedom and hope and joy in this place. That we would have satisfied bodies for the praise of your name. And we ask it for your glory, Jesus. Amen. So let me give you three truths from this text. This is not just a sex sermon, by the way. This is a more holistic, but the the sermon, that this text is... Definitely, it mentions sexuality, so you can't get away from that. But the principles apply just in very generally in lots of different areas. But so let's begin with truth number one on having a body that is satisfied in God. So the first truth is that God's purpose for your body is to display His glory. So this is the starting point: is God's purpose for giving you a body? Is so that you would display his glory through it. So, this includes ideas of worship, because when you are glorifying God, you are worshiping him. This includes enjoyment, because when you're enjoying God, you are glorifying him. This includes thoughts of stewardship, because the way we steward our bodies is also a way. Of reflecting his glory. And so there's a lot of different elements going on here. But just generally, the foundation for having a body that is satisfied in God begins with this first truth. Which is that God gave you a body for his glory. What that means is that your body has value. It means that your body matters. We can be so hard on ourselves and our bodies. You have to know that your body is beautiful and that your body matters. And God made you with the body, and it is an eternal reality. So let's begin here looking at these verses with verse 12. Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things Are helpful. So there are many things in life that are black and white that they're very clear. They're not really debatable because the Bible is very explicit on what's right and what's wrong. So that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about all things being lawful, it's talking about a whole area of things that are in the area of conscience or if you will, these non-moral issues. Because there's a lot of different things in life that you're going to encounter that is not a moral right or wrong. It's up to you, and you have freedom in Christ. And so God gives you freedom. So like, for example, our, our setup team, when we come early at 730 to set up for the worship gathering, there's always a whole bunch of food that people bring, and I'm so thankful for that. And sometimes they bring donuts. And there was this one time that, that there was like, I think, 108 donuts, and they were gone like in 10 minutes. Okay. So are donuts wrong or evil? No, they're not. But if you eat five of them at one sitting, that may be lacking wisdom. It's lawful. You're allowed. You're an adult. You make your own choices. God's not going to strike you down. I wouldn't call that immoral. It's not wrong to have five donuts, but you may consider the wisdom in such a decision. So that's just one example of many. I, I don't even have a legalistic view of alcohol, and so I'll say it. I'm not ashamed to say it. I know that we, we have Baptist alignments and yet, it, I don't believe it is a sin to drink alcohol. Now, if you're under 21, it is. That's against the law. But if you're, if you're of age and you are not violating your conscience, and if you are not getting drunk, because that is clearly immoral in the Bible, so if you are having a glass of wine with your steak, are you in sin? Maybe. Maybe you are. If it's out of rebellion, you are. If you violate your conscience, you are. But if your conscience is not violated, you're not hurting your witness, and you are far from getting drunk and you're of age, the Bible does not say, Thou shalt not have a glass of wine with your steak. It, it doesn't. And so we need to have freedom and give people the freedom that they have in Christ and non moral. Areas And I can give you many more examples, but, but we need to continue with this text. So what he says here, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He's talking about freedom that we have in Christ. But there are two extremes that we have to avoid. when We're talking about this freedom in Christ and how we use our bodies. One extreme is legalism. The other extreme is license. Let me explain them to you. We talk about legalism. Now, we use that word, but let's just define it. Legalism is whenever someone imposes a restriction that goes beyond what God imposes. So, if the Bible says, so in salvation, that you are saved by grace through faith, and so someone is saved only because of Christ's work on the cross and our response, a complete trust in him. If someone says, no, you need to do X, Y, and Z in addition to faith, that's legalism. That is imposing, going beyond the gospel, beyond what God has revealed. And it's not just in salvation. It can be in the area of the non Morals. So, for example, again, the, the alcohol example. If someone like me, I, I don't drink. I have the conviction. For me, I personally do not drink. So, if you ever would see me in a restaurant with with a, with a beer or wine, then I would be in sin. Because for me, my conscience, I would be violating that, and so for me, that would be a sin. But it might not be. For you, again, provided that you're not breaking the law and you're not getting drunk, and there's a lot of different factors with that. But if, if I become a legalist and saying, you can't drink alcohol, why not? There's many more factors to be considered than that versus a legalistic yes or no. And this can be applied in lots of areas. I mean, I grew up in a Hispanic context where if you played cards, that was a sin. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about gambling. I'm talking about playing go fish. Like, if you played with cards, that was considered evil. That was, that was a context that I grew up in. Legalism. That's an example of how we can put up barriers and have very rigid and very narrow interpretations in areas that are non-moral, where we have freedom in Christ and so we should not be legalistic with one another. But here's what I've noticed, maybe I'm wrong, but in my observations, people that are legalistic tend to not know they're legalistic. They don't have any idea that they're legalistic. Most people that are legalistic love Jesus. They do and they're very intentional with how they live their faith and what they do. They're also usually very well read. That tends to be a pattern. People are very legalistic. And and so what happens is they have their convictions on how they're supposed to live their life before God, and then without even realizing it, they're imposing that on other people. We cannot impose our own personal convictions in non-moral areas on other people. There is freedom in Christ. We should not be judgmental towards each other in non-moral areas. So what we're seeing here, first, we need to avoid legalism. On the other end, we have to avoid license. Because legalism says, well, what do I have to do? Okay? What must I do to keep the law? And, and so a legalist would approach his wife, I mean, figuratively, I hope not, not literally, would say, okay, honey, what do I have to do legally to keep you happy? What, what laws do I have to keep so that we can have a good relationship? How far are you going to get with that? Not very far. Because it's about love. It's about a relationship. But with license, the question is, how much can I get away with before I get in trouble with you? So what all can I do And go right to the edge before I fall off, before you can say that I'm wrong or that it's sinful. Neither one is wise. Being legalistic or having this desire for a free license to sin, either one will not get you to where you want, which is a satisfied body in the presence of God. Either one of those extremes, legalism or license, will pull you very far from God and will destroy your relationships? It will. Because the question should not be, how much can I get away with, or, or "How? what is the minimum requirements? The, the question is, is it helpful? The question is, am I being, it says, enslaved? Am I being dominated by it? So again, back to the alcohol question. If you are beginning to struggle with it, then guess what? You need to. Stop. You need help. If you're being dominated by anything, Netflix, social media. Yes, this is mentioning obviously pornography. Now pornography is, is actually immoral, so that's not area of conscience. That's not non-moral, that's immoral. But even on moral things like Netflix can be moral, is it dominating you? YouTube, is it dominating? So even in areas that are not immoral, these are non-moral areas, we still have to ask the question, is it wise? Is it helpful? Does it draw me closer to God? Does it build up other people? Is this taking me where I feel God is calling me to go? It's about joy in the presence of God and having a soul that has joy and that is not either legalistically or with a license trying to just manage and just control the relationship. All things are lawful, but it will not be dominated by anything. The church in Corinth did not understand this. They didn't know that their, that their purpose for their bodies was to display God's glory because verse 13, Paul has to tell them, It says that the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord, is for his own glory. And verse 14 shows how God accomplishes his purpose. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. To so God, raise Jesus, and He's gonna raise you up. And so Jesus is the second member of the eternal Trinity. Jesus was there in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus was very active long before the first Christmas. But what's different is at that first Christmas, the eternal Son of God became a human. He still stayed fully God, but now also human. And he lived a life of perfection, represented you and me and all of humanity, died on the cross, was buried on the third day, rose in victory, and ascended bodily with a body. He ascended to the throne, and the angels told those that were doing this number. They were just shocked. He says, Why are you standing looking up at the heaven? Go get to work. You have people to go reach with the gospel. Jesus will come back the same way that he went up with a body. So right now, as we speak, as we are worshiping Jesus, he is in heaven with a human body. And he looks Middle Eastern. He's not white. And he has scars in his wrists, in his side, and in his feet as we speak. And one day after you die, and there's nothing but just bones in your grave, your spirit will be in heaven in what's called the intermediate state where your body is in the ground, but your soul, your spirit is in heaven awaiting the resurrection. When Jesus comes back, Your dead body in your grave will hear the trumpet, and there'll be a rattling in your grave. And your body that you have right now will be resurrected and joined with your spirit, and you will receive a perfect, glorified body, and you will live forever in the presence of God in the new earth. This is where your life is headed. This is your future with no more pain, no more shame, no more struggles or fear for me, no more back pain, holy and perfect. And you will see Jesus face to face, and he'll hold you, and you'll feel his heart beating, and you'll feel the scars on his wrist. Bodily, physically. And you will worship him with joy forever. This is God's purpose for your body. And so don't you dare shame your body. And may we not shame other people's bodies. Your body, as it is right now, is beautiful. And it matters to God. And he loves you with your body, with all of its imperfections. God loves you with your body as it is. And it's useful to God in his kingdom. So don't you dare look at the stretch marks. Or the varicose veins. Or the, oh, I don't have a buff body. And hate yourself. Don't do it. God loves you, and he's given you a body for his purposes, and your body is holy and set apart for him. And we use it right now for his glory. So the foundation for having a body that is satisfied in God's presence is, number one, knowing that your body's purpose is to display the glory of God as you enjoy him, are satisfied in him. Truth Number two, Satan lies to you and seeks to enslave you. Second truth about having a satisfied body is that Satan lies to you and seeks to enslave you. He is the father of lies, his very nature is a liar. Satan can't speak truth just as much as God can't lie. Satan can't tell the truth because it goes against his nature. Everything that he does and says is about deceit, about enslavement, slander, and shame. He is the father of lies, and so all lies are flowing from him. He's the originator. There were no lies on earth until Satan first started lying. We have to know how he lies. We have to know his same path, the same lies that he used in the Garden of Eden are the same lies that he continues to use on you and me today. Let me give you these three as a brief summary. The first lie that Satan gives us is, you are the master of your own life. Satan will, will tell us this, we will we'll hear it in our mind you are the master of your life. He told our original mother, Eve. He says, did God actually say? Are you sure that you can trust God's word and his authority? Does the Bible really mean that? Are you sure about that? He is Chipping away at the belief that God is king, that he is the master, and he's deceiving us. He's lying to us and trying to get us to believe that we can run our lives ourselves and live for our own glory. Because God is not the king. You are. You rule your life. You are the master of your own life. He will tell you this over and over. Second lie. God is keeping something good from you. God is holding out on you. What did did he say to Eve? God knows that when you eat of it, what will happen? Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He's holding out. God has all the blessings and he is not giving any of them to you. And so we we believe this lie that bad things have happened and God doesn't care or is powerless to fix it. And so bad things happen in our lives and it's because God is holding out. He's keeping good from us. The third lie that Satan gives is, I can give you more than God can. Satan says, sin, I, Satan, can give you more. Than what God offers you. What does God offer you? Himself, that's it? That's all he's going to offer you? Look at what I can offer you. Because what happened? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, she took and she ate. Let's apply this to 1 Corinthians 6. talking about sexual immorality. He saw that the porn images were good for sex and that the images were a delight to the eyes and desirable, and so he clicked. It's the exact same reality that people today are going through in the 21st century as what Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. This lie that says that sin can give you and so this first lie that you, that you run your own life is saying that you're not accountable to God. It's saying, oh, you won't get caught. You're not hurting anyone. Everyone does it anyway. It's no big deal. You're just letting off some steam. You're, you're just trying to relax. You know, you had a hard day. You need some personal time. So this idea that somehow God doesn't care or that we're not accountable to God, that's what he how he lies to us. So the second one, that God doing something good from you, we, we believe that we can't trust God. We're believing the lie that we, we, can't, we can't entrust ourselves. Jesus says, come to me if you are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And the lie is, no, he won't. No, he won't. Jesus will not give you rest. He'll give you work. He'll bring you misery. He will, he will hold you back. He will take away your joy. He won't give you what you really want. These are lies. And on this last one, he'll give you sin giving us more than God can. I mean, where do I start with that? God is the creator and the sustainer and all beautiful and all satisfying. And we, in our moments of weakness, we believe the lie. That sin offers more joy, more fulfillment, more peace, more satisfaction. You have to know how Satan, how, how Satan rather tempts us. It's very important to know the devil's tactics because they haven't changed what he did in the garden he continues to do today. So it is of most importance if you're going to have a satisfied body that you know that Satan wants to keep you stuck in this cycle of shame. Satan and his evil... Minions, his demons can smell our pain just like sharks can smell blood in the water. He can smell it. He knows. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not God. He's not omniscient. But he has enough demons all around the world at his disposal that anywhere that he sees a believer who is actively walking towards God and surrender and living on mission, guess where he's going to deploy the most of his demons? He wants to destroy you. This is not a game. This is a reality. And he uses our wounds. And I know that no one has, at least not yet, walked out of the room. Maybe you're too embarrassed. Maybe you wish you could. Um, I know some of you in this room, just because of the statistics, this room is too full with too many people. There's at least some of you that ha- have significant pain from your past. Whether you were abused, or you've had violence inflicted on you, and this area talking about sexual immorality is so, so painful for you. And my heart goes out to you. But more importantly, God's heart does. God is close to the brokenhearted. He knows the pain. And he feels it. And maybe for you, it's decades old, and yet it is still fresh. Fresh. Satan exploits our pain that has not been healed. And especially if you're still hiding that, if it's happened, no one even knows, and it's buried underneath a wall where you've walled off your emotions and you don't want to even feel it anymore, but I can assure you it's still there. And I pray that today, that the Spirit will just destroy that. That he will just destroy that stronghold. And that you'll be able to come out into the light and find healing. Because our addiction cycles. And by the way, it's not even just with pornography or sex. I know that this text mentions that. But it's not just that. I've, I've, I know there's one couple that I love dearly. Um, they, were, they, were, they were Kiwis so from New Zealand. And he had a really, really hard background. And he was a pornography addict. And his wife had turned to food. And so they they were both real with each other, held each other accountable. And it was funny because whenever she would go to Starbucks, her biggest thing was not getting a brownie. Like for her, it was like so hard to not get that brownie, but she didn't want to because she knew that it was just a way of trying to find a sense of relief when the endorphins go off. In, in your mind, in, in your brain, and so there is very real science to this with the uh, the dopamine and and the endorphins in your brain, and so this is a chemical addiction as much as it is emotional and spiritual it 's a holistic problem, but i I remember this amazing couple and then finding freedom as they were honest with their past pain and walking in that together. And so it's not just about pornography. It's about anything that we can turn to for relief. There's a reason why this text mentions indulging in food or in sex. Why does it mention both in the same text? Well, because we can turn to food as easily as we can turn to sex. You can, you can turn to anything. You can turn to sports. You can turn to your work possessions, people, success, the list goes on of things that we can turn to for relief because our souls are in pain. And Satan wants to keep you trapped in the cycle of shame. But I love verses 15 through 18. It describes that sex is not just physical, it's a deeply spiritual thing, and that our intimacy is designed to be a reflection of how God loves Us. I love the way Pastor Eugene Peterson summarizes this in his paraphrase called The Message. He says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. Ever the kind of sex that can never become one. And he knows that that's exactly right. Most people that struggle with sexual addiction, there is past pain in their life, and there is loneliness and feeling like it's all you and you're alone, and you feel like if anyone knew what's going on, then no one would love you anymore. And so Satan keeps us in bondage and hiding, and in the dark, where it just festers, and it gets worse. But the whole point of sex is that it's meant to be a beautiful thing, where a husband and a wife enjoy each other, and this is designed to be a shadow that points to God's deep love for you and me. It's meant to bring intimacy and wholeness. And our bodies, as it says here, we're a sacred Space. Your body is where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. This is so huge. This changes everything. Knowing that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it grieves the Spirit when we give ourselves to things that don't glorify God. A stronghold, if you look at... I, I'm going to read it today, but 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 describes strongholds. And a stronghold is basically think of a fortress or a castle. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul describes having a foothold. Um, so Satan can have a foothold, and then a foothold can then grow into being a stronghold, literally a fortress that Satan can build in your heart that keeps you enslaved and keeps you blind. And So we need to beg the Spirit to destroy those strongholds. Truth number one, God's purpose for your body is his glory. Truth number two is Satan lies to us and wants to keep us enslaved. I love the last two verses that we just read. It is the gospel. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, and the price was the blood of Jesus. And so this third truth here is that God brings healing and freedom. God brings us healing, and he brings us freedom. You know, the Apostle Paul here did not say, just stop it. Just stop going to prostitutes. Just stop looking at porn on your phones. Just stop doing it. Try harder. Be a better Christian. Get your life in order. That's not what Paul said. He describes the problem unashamedly. But then he describes the gospel. He says you were bought with a price. You'll one day be resurrected. And so how do we find freedom and healing the presence of God there's a reason why it describes in this text that you are one with the spirit you're one spirit with him your human spirit and God's Holy Spirit becoming one this is a mystery and it boggles the mind but this is what the scriptures reveal that he is literally with us and in us and you might think to yourself because the enemy's lying to you well you don't know what I've done you don't know what's been done to me And he wants to keep you enslaved in the shame. And you think to yourself, if anyone knew the real me, if anyone knew what's going on when no one is watching, no one would love me. No one would ever want me. Let me tell you who the real you is. We started with verse 12. Let's back up one paragraph right before that. To begin with verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, man, that's a long list. Yes, it is. And it's describing all kinds of sin, not just sex, obviously. But verse 11 is hope. And such Were you like that word? Not are, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The real you. You want to know who the real you is? Down deep down inside in your heart, the real you is not a porn addict. The real you is not dirty. The real you is not shameful. The real you is not evil. The real you is what? Washed, sanctified, justified, living in the presence of the spirit of God. That's the real you You have to know who you are. Don't believe the lies. Know who you are. Your real heart, your deepest part of you, who you are is a child of God. And you can walk in that identity, walk in that freedom and breathe it in. And not walk in the darkness any longer. When Adam and Eve were in integrity, it says they were naked and not ashamed. So they were enjoying each other naked, but no shame. Fast forward two chapters later, when they disobeyed, they sinned and they were ashamed and they were naked. What did they do? They ran and they hid. And what did God do? Did God shame them? How could you? I was trusting you, Adam. I gave you this job to do, and you blew it. Shame on you, Adam. Is that what God did? No. No. You know what God did? He looked for Adam. Adam, where are you? I want you. I know what you did. That's okay. I got this. I'm going to kill an animal to pay the price to cover your body, cover your shame. And one day I will come myself. And I'll pay the price. I'll take away your shame. Come. Just come, Adam. but you don't know what I've done. And God says, yes, I do. And I love you. Will you come out of the darkness? Stop hiding. Let me cover you. Let me love you and hold you. Let me free you. Come to me. All who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you come out of the darkness and believe the truth of who you are and not the lies of the enemy? Will you sit still with God and pray specifically to the Spirit and say, will you heal this area? Will you free me? Will you break this stronghold? Will you have the courage to look inside and let God do his work? You can't do it alone. We can do this together. Man, if only you knew how much God loves you. And some of you do. And some of you need to know it. Find freedom. What are you thirsty for? I pray that it's for Jesus. And for his freedom. For a restored soul, for a satisfied body. I know a lot of times we can do the church thing and be really busy with activities and programs and, and we think that, oh, I'm, I'm in church, I'm busy, I've got the program thing going on. I'm, but, but the real intimacy that your soul craves is not just church programs. It's only having heart to heart with God, only walking with him. Jesus has already made a way for you to have freedom as the text says you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god in your